Welcome and thanks for joining us on The Pivot, a new audio series brought to you by Futures Without Violence. In these short podcasts, we'll be speaking with leaders in the work to end violence against children and their families. In particular, we explore the myriad ways that systems can be transformed in order to provide community support to adult and child survivors in a meaningful way. We have prioritized guidance and practices that advance equity and remove barriers for the best possible outcomes for the most marginalized and oftentimes excluded. We see this as a crucial pivot away from the punitive approaches that often form part of institutions and a new opportunity to connect families to holistic and culturally relevant community supports. Our aim is to generate a national discussion about how we can transform our mindset and practices to improve child and family safety. We hope that you will use these short yet meaningful dialogues to engage in discussions within your own organizations. I'm your host, Wendy Mota. Let's dive in. Good afternoon, good morning, depending on where I am so excited for today's uh, conversation. We have my friend of a very long time, Dr. Chang, who is a psychologist and faculty at the University of Connecticut. Out of love, I call her Hiroshi. I've known um, Hiroshi for maybe 15 plus years. We've done a work when I was at the coalition level in Connecticut and developed curriculums together, trained many, many professionals, not only in Connecticut, but in Puerto Rico as well. And I'm just so proud Mm -hmm. of the work that you do and that you've accepted to have this conversation with us today. Thank you Mm -hmm. so much, Wendy, for the invitation. I'm, I'm, I'm always ready to talk to you anytime, so. So for today's conversation, Rosie, you know, I remember many, many years ago training with you on the intersections of trauma, domestic violence, and what that means for Latino communities. I remember, you know, training professionals with you on this topic. And one of the things that you did so wonderfully, and I'm sure you continue to do, is really bring our attention to a very mainstream way of understanding childhood trauma, right? So of course there's ACE, the ACE study that came out. And and one thing that I'm very excited to talk to you today about is how can we better understand it, but very importantly, or most importantly, how can service providers and practitioners adapt a cultural lens when working right, with Latino families, such Mm -hmm. an important topic. Mm -hmm. So the first question I have for you, Rosie, is really, can you tell us a little bit about what the ACE study is and what was it supposed to accomplish? So I consider the ACE study a pioneer, which is really, um, it's so interesting though, because in the field of psychology and psychiatry, we have always known that you know, what happened during childhood, it truly impacts the lifespan of the individual. But the ACE study was sort of brought this whole circle, right? Because obviously the the knowledge was there, you know, uh, there were like 
evidence that was there that, you know, what happens during childhood, it impacts our lifespan. But oh, but when the ACE study came out, you know, it was sort of a reconfirmation of what people in our communities already knew for many, many years, I believe even before the ACE study and also what academia, some sort of theories were also leading. But the ACE study sort of, in my opinion, helped us to put it all together. So the the history with the ACE studies that Dr. Um, Felidi started a weight loss clinic in Kaiser Permanente in California for people who were morbidly obese. And he sort of noticed that people were doing very well. They sort of, you know, like were losing weight, significantly losing weight, but then they were sort of disappearing. They, they He didn't know what was happening. Was the treatment so well done that they didn't need it anymore? Or was there something else happening? And what he noticed after a few months was that the people who were successfully leaving the clinic because of their significant loss weight, they Uh also were coming back after a few months and with more weight than when they started the study. So then he started sort of looking into what were the causes and asking some psychosocial questions. And, you know, this is the key for all of us to understand. Many times I think that the working collaboration pays off. Uh-huh. And, you know, this will go in academia work and any other type of work. You know, like if we if we work together in, in good teams, then there are many good things that can happen. And he sort of joined forces with uh, Dr. Anta from CDC. And together, they put together a study that significantly revolutionized the way that we are conducting um the way that we really see things and okay. the framework that we utilize right now. So Dr. Anda and Dr. Felipe were able to recruit more than 17,000 adults. And they came out with 10 questions and there were yes or no answers about mm-hmm. childhood adversities. So the whole sort of all the questions started by before the age of 18. Before mm-hmm. the age of 18, were you psychologically abused before the age of 18? Were you sexually abused before the age of 18? Was one of your parents using drugs? Um, so those questions, yes or no answers, were the ones that these over 17,000 adults completed. Now, we know that there was no sort of measurement of intensity, you know, how often, the frequency, not, none of that. But, you know, this sort of design of 10 questions help us to sort of prove and reconfirm what textbooks, many textbooks have been saying, right? Uh Childhood, whatever happens during childhood can really impact your lifespan. And these adults who were surveyed, there were a significant number. There are not too many studies that use too many, you know, 17,000 people, right? Only mostly recruited uh, white people uh-huh. from from middle uh, from a middle socioeconomic status, uh-huh. um, and so they were not really the inclusion of other communities, right? Uh-huh. 
And if you see the questions, there are really important questions. And, you know, definitely there is so much value in what the ACE study contributed to the sure. field. And then we also ask questions about, you know, what other childhood uh-huh. adversities happen mm-hmm. to our kids, right? Uh-huh. What other childhood adversities happen in communities such as ours, uh-huh. right? So the inclusion of, you know, depending on what community we're working with and depending on their own realities, we need to be very mindful about what we need to ask and what we need to consider. For uh-huh. instance, if we're working with people from Puerto Rico, right? Uh-huh. We do know that there is, you know, th- there is right now, unfortunately, kids are being exposed to natural disaster more often than not, right? right? So that could be a consideration, a, 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 obviously, for a, a childhood adversity, right? Many times, natural disasters also bring other secondary traumatic uh-huh. uh, stress that can be considered another childhood adversity, such as relocation, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Many times, relocation, you know, means the loss of everything that you are familiar with and come to a completely new environment. Many experts talk about some sort of understanding that because Puerto Ricans are American citizens, they can't come to the mainland and they can go to the island, Uh um, you know, uh, very easily. And this has its strengths, but this can also create many different challenges, especially for especially for kids. So we talk about circular migration. So circular <coughs> migration is when, you know, there is so much stressors that a family encounters where they are at, they might think about relocation. So they either go back to the island or come to the mainland, and there is a circular migration that keep on happening, right? That can be very um, difficult for a young child to endure and to to sort of figure out what's happening and uh-huh. you know, to to figure out part of a community and see where he belongs or she belongs. Uh, so those are some of the things that we can think about asking if we are working with um, with different communities. And right. one of them is Puerto Rican, right? Uh-huh. But in other Latino communities, what we know is that kids are being affected by immigration policies, yes. right? Yes. So that's another thing that we that we need to consider when we are thinking about the ACE study and when we are thinking about how we bring the voices and the experiences of, of Latinos um, yeah. into yeah. the study. And then, and then there is also, you know, the whole sort of general sort of questions that were not asked, but unfortunately many communities face, such uh-huh. as community violence, yes. right, such yes. as discrimination Uh such as racism right so Uh those are important sort of questions that were not asked but Uh they are super uh, you know for clinicians for researchers these are things that will help to bring more awareness of the needs of different communities yeah I love that thank you so much Mm -hmm. for such a uh you know, thorough, comprehensive, comprehensive explanation of the ACE study. And I think, you know, I love what you're saying about the, you know, being responsive to the needs of the children and families that we're working with, you know, in the domestic violence movement, right? Like 
we really try um, to advocate and promote survivor-centered approaches, right? So what is what are the needs of the survivor? And understanding that, you know, they could do, they oftentimes, you know, vary. Even within similar populations, right, there's different needs. And, and what you're saying reminds me of that because it's almost like the ACE study was guidance or a blueprint, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it also for clinicians, for advocates, for people working with people, right? It's like, this is the, this is the original blueprint, but how can we, you know, look at it really centering the needs of the people that we work with? And I, and I really appreciate, like I said, you uh, talking about those things. You talked about immigration and migration. You talked about circular migration, social isolation. You know, there's institutional racism, systemic racism, which are all, like you said, very impactful, right? They're very, they're very significant in the lives of the families that we're working with. You know, I think um, the other one that comes to me when I, when I say systemic and institutional racism, a lot of the families that we work with and develop programs for do unfortunately come in contact with systems, right? In our in this country, so yes. really thinking about whether it's child welfare, whether it's thinking about the court system, whether it's thinking about whatever it is, these systems um, oftentimes have an oppressive history, and the impact again is also felt by the children, by the the parents and the family all together. So. I guess my next question to you is about, do you have any thoughts on how clinicians, advocates, and and overall practitioners that are working with these communities, whether it's Spanish speaking, whether it's, you know, families of mixed immigration status, right? What What would be some of the thoughts that come to your mind so that these practitioners could start being more inclusive? How can they take for example, the ACE study and say, this is so valuable, like you said, Uh, this is, you know, um, so telling and like you said, revolutionize the field. But how do I, as a practitioner working with diverse um, populations, how can I be inclusive of those means when I'm thinking about adverse childhood experiences? Mm -hmm. So that's a very great question. And obviously, I, I, I believe that there are no absolutes. So, and we could really mm-hmm. talk for years about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I believe that, you know, like, ideally, if, if, if we all have, like, the resources and the support, ideally, I believe that as clinicians, as advocators, um, any service sort of role that we, we have, we need to, as much as possible, become familiar with the communities who we serve. Of course. And this means, you know, getting out there, mm-hmm. you know, participating in activities that mm-hmm. do not really include you as as the role that, that you are performing or mm-hmm. working, but, you know, being part of the community just to figure out sense, you know, the strengths of the community Uh and also some of the challenges. And, you know, understanding that it doesn't matter where we come from, we all have blind spots. It is our responsibility, right, to figure out what are we going to do Uh to make sure that we can see more 
that we commonly do. So, you know, it's, it's my I have a daughter who is now driving. I'm teaching her that we do have <laughs> blind spots. And, and, you know, but now you can really turn around and see a little bit, you know, even uh -huh. if you if you if you turn around quickly, just to make sure that you're not hitting anybody yeah. or that somebody doesn't hit you. So th those are some things that I believe that can help uh, because, you know, in the work that we do, we need to bring safety to the people who we serve. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. and we 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 definitely, you know, need to figure out how we are genuine in the work that we do. Uh -huh. And the, the more knowledge that we have and the more that we that of the communities who we serve, but also the more knowledge that that we have about ourselves, um, then then I think that we can continue serving to the best of our abilities. Yeah. Um in psychology, we do have like these waves, right? Like things come and go and then they, they come and repeat themselves. We we know that we have too many evidence-based practices in whatever uh -huh. we do. And um, I think that one of the questions is, you know, how these evidence-based practices have been formed and have they considered different cultures, right? Uh -huh. and, and how did they really came out with their amazing models, right? So. Yeah are the voices of the people who they are uh -huh. serving in it uh -huh. because that is what's going to determine how uh -huh. how successful you know whatever sort of modality you are using yeah. um right now i am a bit advocate role for uh, the radical healing framework and you know it doesn't really matter what what model you are using but the radical healing framework gives you five principles that is inviting you to consider whenever uh -huh. you are providing services. And the first one is critical consciousness. So try to figure out, right, from your client's perspective and also from your, your perspective, wh what is the type of oppression that your client has faced? Uh -huh. And, you know, where they are um, at the time that they are coming to you. Uh -huh. um, many times, you know, you would be one of the first ones that helps your client naming whatever needs to be named. Uh -huh. And sometimes that can be, you know, oftentimes we hold responsible the individual for recovery, whatever type of recovery um, we mean by. But also, you know, there are many systems in place, just like you mentioned, Wendy, uh -huh. that really affect the recovery of this individual. Of course. And critical consciousness can help us you know, not to put, um, and we we don't want to blame anybody, but, you know, oftentimes uh, different models and different things, the responsibility is only in the individual. Yeah, and in fact, and the system. There are, yes, there are many different systems who, who are really impacting uh -huh. uh, the way that this person can recover. Yeah. So then the other, the other principle is radical hope and envisioning possibilities. Uh -huh. So, and that's that's really something that we've seen in marginalized communities a lot, right? So it doesn't matter how devastation can affect communities. And marginalized communities have really faced very enduring challenges, right. long-lasting challenges, but they do keep the hope. That's right. And, and this radical healing framework also honors that. And, you know, that we have to keep on having it. Otherwise, we, we won't be able to keep on moving. That's right. 
Um, and, and, and then the other one is the strength and resistance, right? We, we do have the term resilience that many of my colleagues are trying to figure out what that means for Latino communities. Uh -huh. But the strength and resistance is that, you know, no matter how difficult the challenge the person who you are serving is facing, they do have strengths. Uh -huh. And, you know, the reason why they came to see you is because they have been resisting right. uh, so much that we cannot really understand. So just identifying those strengths and resistance are, are really important for, for the plan, really important for how you are addressing different um, problems or issues that uh, the individual or family has at the time that comes to see you. Uh -huh. And the other one is cultural authenticity and self-knowledge, right? This is super important for us because we're talking about, you know, valuing where we come from, you know, realizing where our, our, our strengths as, as a culture, right? And sort of putting everything in perspective in order to keep on moving. You know, many times knowing that you belong to to a certain culture, knowing how much you can uh -huh. value and honor where you come from, that that also can give you some strength. But that yeah. can also help you with uh, learning more about you yeah. and learning more about you, uh, your right. group, right? Yeah. And the last one is collectivism. Mm -hmm. And obviously, radical healing came out from many different approaches. And uh, but one of them was liberation psychology that was uh -huh. actually uh, developed in Latin America, and, and the the development was because they were they were scholars who were trying to name how how the oppressed live yeah. in, in our countries in Latin American countries and how many times we needed to. It, it is a must that we bring uh -huh. the voices of the people who are oppressed of course. into everything that we do. I so, love that. So collectivism is the way that our Latino cultures really orient themselves. Uh -huh. and, and, you know, we orient ourselves as a group. Yeah. And 100%. Approach, yes. Right? So this is another important principle that when considered, can really be beneficial for everybody, right? So yeah. we do have many sort of phrases that sort of support this idea of collectivism for Latino families. And we are not the only culture that values collectivism. Uh -huh. That's right. Wow. I love, love, love everything you said. I'm like taking notes because it's, you know, just so, it feels like a breath of fresh air. Um, especially because sometimes I think, you know, we want to honor every family, every child, every survivor in a very specific way. And oftentimes we find ourselves almost like in that kind of like that fast paced mode where it's sometimes hard to really treat people and, and families in a very specific way and address the very specific needs that they have. So what are the, I, and, and I'm just going to repeat some of the things that you were saying. So you're saying for folks that really want to and are listening to us, that really want to start moving the needle towards inclusiveness in, the, in, in their practice, they should really be aware of the community that they're serving. Try to, I like, I love what you said, a try to be involved where your role 
changes, right? So you're not, for example, if it was me, I am not, you know, who I am at Futures, a program manager. I'm not Wendy with a social service. I'm just Wendy and part of that. And I think, you know, that kind of makes it a little bit more authentic and not tokenizing because we know that that can happen too, right? Mm -hmm. But I love what you're saying because a little, uh, some of that is about sharing power. It's about understanding, you know, the community that you're serving in a way that, you know, it reminds me a lot of the phrase uh, cultural humility, right? Centering mm-hmm. outside of you. I love that. Mm-hmm. Then you also talked about being aware of our own blind spots. And that for me is, you know, our implicit bias. Everyone has it. We have mm-hmm. it at an individual level and systems, unfortunately, also have it, right? When they're mm-hmm. servicing um, these families. And then I, I really, really appreciated this last um, um, suggestion or consideration that you shared with us, which is really, you know, ask yourself, how was this approach, this model, this curriculum, this intervention, how was it developed? Who was it developed for? Did it consider, you know, diverse needs and diverse communities? And it's almost like that for me, it's almost like at the very beginning, that's going to give you the answer. Right. And, and we, you know, oftentimes I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of my colleagues where it's like, not every intervention has to be a clinical intervention, you know, mm-hmm. not every service has to be a thing sometimes. And in, 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 um, how do I say this? Sometimes in benefit of the family. And if we're really tuned in what we're offering it doesn't fall under that, but I really, I really appreciate that consideration because it really helps us understand, you know, where did this start and who did it consider? And then the, these other five notions that you share with us on radical healing. Oh my God, that's wonderful. I, that's wonderful. I love all of them. And I think one of my favorite ones is probably the last one, collectivism, you know, being first generation American myself, it's different, right? Like even thinking about, I remember uh, uh, studying feminism in college and I'm like, I'm not a feminist. Something's not right, but it's, it's very individualistic, right? First of all, it's white. It was, it was white feminism at that time, but it's like, there's a lot of individualism, right? And a lot of uh, mainstream approaches, right? So it's just refreshing to see that there's uh, tools out there that are coming from a place of cultural inclusivity, you know, and, and understanding, you know, really understanding that it's not, for example, when we're working with a, um, a survivor of domestic violence, you know, how do we understand that the neighbor is important, that, you know, the brothers and sisters are important. And it's, you know, it, how do we even understand that the opinion of their religious leader matters, right? And it all stems from this, right? Culturally mm-hmm. speaking, we are very collective. We are very community oriented. And even, you know, uh, you know that I spent time uh, in, in Puerto Rico really understanding, you, you touched upon it at the beginning, in the last five, six years, there's been a lot of natural disasters. Mm-hmm. and one of the things that amazes me of Puerto Ricanos is that it's like, and I'm, I'm careful using the word resilience and strength, but it's like the love for community, 
you know, when when the the funding wasn't coming in, when there was no money, when people literally just had themselves, they got together and, you know, through their communities were able to survive a lot of these catastrophes that happened. So thank you so much for that framing. Um, Jose, is there anything else you'd like to share with us, particularly thinking about policy or practice as folks start thinking about, you know, there is a way that we can use something as adverse as the ACE study, but also really continue to center it on the needs of the families that we're serving. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Any resources? I mean, I, I love that you mentioned radical healing framework, but is there anything else that you'd like to share with us today? So, you know, I, I know that we have talked about this many times, Wendy, but, you know, Latinos, we are a heterogeneous group. So, okay. And um, so, so even when we work with um, different Latino communities, we're going to have we're going to find That's similarities, right. uh-huh. but we're also going to have find uh-huh. differences. And I think that one of the ones that um, you know you you mentioned about migration and immigration. Uh-huh. And I believe that um, maybe because I'm I'm an immigrant myself, I think that sometimes we forget that. You know, the level of acculturation when we work with families, it might be completely different for each family member. That creates, you know, there are many things that are very positive about it, but there are also many things that can be very challenging mm-hmm. among a, with a collective view um, that Latinos usually share and not being able to understand themselves in the same family unit. So being mindful of this, you know, there is no right or wrong, but many times, you know, the value system of each of our Latino families and each member might be different. And um, and oftentimes realizing that can really help us or can hinder the way that we provide services. Uh And it's not that intentionally people might do things to not contribute or to not really follow up with the plan. But values are something that is sort of ingrained in us. Uh-huh. And oftentimes for immigrants, and I always say that they call on to whatever they were told very early in their lives, just a childhood adverse experiences, yeah. you know, values, right. values and beliefs really also stay with us. Many times, if we don't challenge those values, they stay with us for uh-huh. for our lifespan too. Uh-huh. And, um, and so, just understanding, you know, what framework of values and belief system the families have and the individuals in the world have would be very important too, yeah. because that would determine the success, uh-huh. the successful outcomes. Uh-huh. I love that, and you know, and hopefully the practitioner is doing it in a way that is not judgmental and mm-hmm. it's inclusive and and sees it as an opportunity versus a, a challenge, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just different, you know? Um, so I, I really appreciate that, Jem. Um, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, this was great uh, for your time, for your wisdom, for spending time with us today. I know that this is going to be of great value to our listeners, and I am looking forward to maybe another conversation in the future. I would love to, Wendy. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Thank you. 
And now I'd like to end with a beautiful poem by Audre Lorde titled Cole. I is the total black being spoken from the earth's inside. There are many kinds of open. How a diamond comes into a knot of flame. How a sound comes into a word colored by who pays what for speaking. Some words are open, like a diamond on glass windows, singing out within the crash of passing sun. Then there are words like stapled waggers in a perforated book, buy and sign and tear apart, and come whatever wills all chances, the stub remains, an ill-pulled tooth with a ragged edge. Some words live in my throat, breeding like adders. Others no sun, seeking the gypsies over my tongue to explore through my lips like young sparrows bursting from shell. Some words bedevil me. Love is another kind of open. As a diamond comes into a knot of flame, I am black because I come from the earth's inside. Take my word for jewel in your open light. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pivot. Please be sure to check out show notes for any resources referenced during the podcast. You will also find discussion questions, which we hope will help you, our listener, continue dialogue around these very important topics. If you know of any work happening in your community that would add to the national discussion generated by this series, please email us a summary of the efforts and work taking place to the pivot at futureswithoutviolence.org. That email again is the pivot at futureswithoutviolence.org. We will be sure to get back to you. Last but certainly not least, we would like to express our deepest gratitude to Chance Taylor for all his support in editing all the episodes and to Sudobi Kuke for producing the series. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, your host, Wendy Mota.